I'm Michael McMullen. And I'm John Mark Yates. Welcome to This Week in Church History. Welcome to This Week in Church History. We are thinking about uh, events in the month of May, from May 17 through to May 23. I'm Michael McMullen. I'm here with my colleague at Midwestern, John Mark Yates. And today, especially, we will be thinking uh, about the sad event of the death of uh, an early missionary in North America. Uh, His name was John Elliott. Uh, He's been called the apostle to the Native Americans. And uh, uh, his work and and legacy, we believe, really are worth another look and and sharing uh, with those who join with us today. Yeah, just a couple weeks ago, we talked about William Carey, and we talked about his uh, inquiry uh, and it is in his inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathens that he outlines mission history. And Carey uh, labeled Elliot along with the Apostle Paul and David Brainerd yes. as key exemplars. Um, he uses the phrase uh, canonized heroes uh, and in kindlers of the flame. I, these are great turns of phrase. Yeah, what what a wonderful way to describe those that you know, God has used in your own call to to mission and ministry uh, an encouragement uh, as really we've thought of before to 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 look and to read at the lives of those that that God has raised up before and and have become uh, incredible examples to us in our own lives and ministries and mission. Now, there's a good chance, uh, Michael, that many people haven't even heard of John Elliott. Can you kind of give us a rough sketch of his life well, and, when, and why when you know him? When I share with people, especially some of my students, and, and ask them uh, what they know about John Elliott, um, more often than not, people think I'm referring to Jim Elliott. Right. And uh, the missionary who was killed in, in Ecuador. And, uh, you know, John Elliott lived in the 17th century. He was British. And, and with the kind of persecution that took place in England on those who refused to conform, um, Elliot was one of those who headed for the New World. And he left England. He settled in the Boston area, especially in Roxbury. Um, he becomes a, a reader at the, the church in Roxbury. He's the sole minister there for 40 years. He ministers in the church for 60 years. It's incredible. Um, that these, you know, lengths of, of service, you know, really were because the men who went there believed that uh, God had called them and, and that they were married to the congregation. It was a covenant with the people. And until they believed that God was moving them on, they would stay through uh, all kinds of, of good and bad. I, I think things are very different today. <laughs> very different. And one of the things we'll get a chance to talk about, I hope, too, is because of his longevity of service, he had unbelievable societal, uh, uh, not just presence, but uh, he he instituted so much societally uh, that has legacy 
even into today. There, there's schools named after Elliot, streets named after Elliot. Yeah. There's all these things in the Boston area that yeah, if you areas you go, of Boston named after him. It's unbelievable how much he transformed uh, even his own culture uh, in that day and time because of his longevity. And and yet, sadly, um, without things like this, without writers reminding us of, of what it is that God you know, did through him, um, it, there is a real danger that what these uh, men and women have achieved for God uh, will be lost. And so this is, I think, part of the value of what we do here. So he was famous for a few things uh, in the U.S. Uh, what are what are a couple of those things that uh, he's famous for, primarily in the United States? Uh, we could speak simply of, of some of the factual things. He publishes the first book in America. He publishes the first Bible in uh, the Western Hemisphere, Yeah, uh, certainly in America. Um, it, it, it would be impossible to buy one of those volumes now unless you were a multimillionaire because they're so rare. Uh, but the Bible he printed uh, is in Algonquin. He creates an alphabet for uh, the nomadic Indian tribes that would pass through his area. Um, he, he learns the language enough uh, to go and preach to them. And, and they're not totally appalled to the degree that they don't want him to return. They are, I, I suspect, intrigued and uh, filled with a kind of amazement that uh, an Englishman would... Uh, even bothered to try and learn their language. <laughs> and and Elliot will, you know, by God's blessing, will make incredible inroads uh, and see conversions uh, into the thousands of Native Americans in his area. Well, let's talk about that for a minute because uh, a lot of times when we think through the relationship of some of the early settlers in America and Native American populations. In reflection in the 21st century, as we've looked at the data, that's not always a good story. Uh, oftentimes, those uh, Native Americans were were not treated well. They were taken advantage of. They were um, uh, those who were coming as settlers were using principles of colonization and other things to to uh, take over territories. What is happening that's different with Elliot? Yeah, Elliot sees. Uh, the fact that uh, no one, especially as a Christian, is, is taking any interest or concern uh, for the many hundreds uh, that he's, uh, of Indians that he sees in his area. And, and so he spends uh, about two years trying to wrestle and, and grapple with learning their language enough that he can then go and present the gospel to them. And, and so that's, that's an incredible early uh, attempt to share the gospel in America. It predates uh, the work of men like David Brainerd, who uh, are also held up as in incredible heroes of the faith in, in being early missionaries to the Native Americans. But Elliot is there the previous century uh, seeing incredible blessings. And, and what he does, he establishes these small towns or villages in, in which they can now live because, of course, they are estranged from their own people. 
And so he will establish these self-governing townships, call them praying towns, and, and they will grow in popularity. They establish laws, saved Indians will have their own churches, their own pastors. He will send individuals to Harvard as students to prepare for the ministry. Can you imagine Puritan students at Harvard in the 17th century being sat in the same room with Native Americans uh, who, who just a few weeks or months earlier um, had not even spoken English? What God did through Eliot really was uh, just groundbreaking in the sense of mission. And prior to the disruption of 1675 with King Philip's War, uh, and even afterwards, but primarily beforehand, Eliot was one of the most vocal public figures to protect Native Americans, to protect their lands, to protect uh, aspects that uh, that were being taken advantage of by others. Yeah, he recognizes that um, you know men and women, whatever their color, background, whatever it is, um, are a creation of God, and and he saw them as, you know, especially needful for a, a, a missionary to go out and preach the gospel and, and then not just to see them as, you know, numbers, but men and women and families that could be helped uh, and encouraged to, to live in this new life that they'd discovered in Christ. And that's one of the interesting aspects, even at the, the conclusion of his life, as he gives 75 acres for the founding of what becomes known as the Elliott School, uh, he does this with the uh, prohibition or the encouragement that these funds or this land can't be used unless uh, the school pursues educating both Native Americans as well as black uh, slaves or former slaves in that region uh, so that they can make a difference in their own area. He's an early pioneer in this. Yeah, Elliot is there at the beginning of the European settlement of North America. And he's an incredible example to what the church could have been doing to make a real impact with the gospel at such an early point. It's absolutely fascinating. Let's back up a little bit, though, and talk about these praying towns or praying villages that Elliot is organizing, uh, these become a, an interesting spot in early American history. Uh, and it also is something that philosophically gets Elliot in trouble with. Um, what was going on in those settlements uh, that, that was so unique that Elliot was putting forward? Elliot has been criticized for his uh, experiment, let, let's call it. He, he models these praying towns on an English village. So you have uh, a leadership with, within the town. You have a, a school, education. You have a church. You have laws that are passed for the well-being of those that are now living there. Um, it, it really is, you know, revolutionary for the Native Americans. It, it is, you know, full of uh, concern for neighbors around that they now have 
uh, a group of Indians living fairly close to them as new settlers. And, and so there is a tension, there is distrust about what it is that Eliot is doing. There's a concern that uh, these newly converted uh, Native Americans, you know, would suddenly become violent and attack the settlers. So there's great tension and, and mistrust and, and uh, not full support. And what Eliot does is try and persuade those uh, in the areas where these towns are established that this really is a thing that, that God is doing, that it will be for the good of the people. And so with that experiment, he actually creates uh, his book, The Christian Commonwealth, uh, which began to argue uh, for a um, really a theocracy that uh, under the, the authority of, of God, that then these villages uh, would be able to operate. And from his perspective, in these small little praying towns, this was what was working. They were seeing themselves under the authority of God and, and working. Um, but the people in the the political powers that that be <laughs> um, did not like his uh, theories on uh, theocracy. No, I mean what Eliot had done. He'd taken uh, Old Testament examples of God at work through His people, Moses especially, and the people, and he translated that into what could be done into the lives of new believers. Uh, in these new towns that he'd established. And, and the book, The Christian Commonwealth, was a, a case to bring that about, both in America and in Britain and worldwide, really, mm -hmm. that it would be God uh, who would be the king. Uh, now, that was relatively non-controversial at the time that he wrote the book because England at, the, at that point didn't have a king. It had Cromwell. <laughs> uh, but in 1660, suddenly you have Charles II, uh, a restoration of the monarchy, and a book that is a massive embarrassment to the colony of Massachusetts. So it becomes the first book banned in America. Um, it, it, it's an incredible thing that he can <laughs> write the first book about government, and suddenly he's uh, enemy number one, and it's the first book banned by a, a, an American governmental agency. Yeah, he actually retracts, which is he kind does. of helpful. It, it's probably helpful <laughs> to his health as well, I suspect. <laughs> a little bit more of that longevity, why we have uh, 60 years serving that one church, yes. right, <laughs> overall and, and how it works. So as uh, Elliot continues his, his work faithfully uh, across um, – Cotton Mather, the, the the American Puritan, uh, called his uh, his his life and and ministry the epitome uh, of American Puritanism. Uh, what was so unique about Eliot in his puritanical uh, framework that that Mather would consider him so prototypical of of what one should yeah, look at? Yeah, Eliot had been influenced. Um, in his early life by Thomas Hooker, a, a leading Puritan thinker and writer. And once Eliot had come to America, uh, he'd remained a committed Puritan. And um, uh, the idea was that uh, God was sovereign and, and he had his plan and his purpose. Um, but what seemed to be fairly unique about what Eliot did would be this sense of of urgent mission uh, to those around him. 
And uh, he carried on writing. He would do amazing translations. He would create the alphabet for the Bible to be translated. But his his sense and and purpose and, and urgency of the mission, which was the thing which I think amazed uh, all those, in, especially in the Boston establishment in church leadership. So Mather and others also had a unique angle on the Native American population uh, that saw them as the ten lost tribes of Israel. This kind of eschatological component that uh, if the uh, Native American population were one to Christ, then that would bring kind of the reconciliation of all things. Yeah, it would bring about the end of the end of time, uh, the second coming. It it would be the millennium. Um, It's such an odd, you know, looking back, such an odd view. um, But it brought, you know, it really did bring that urgency for evangelism and mission, Uh, not dissimilar to the views of people like McShane and others, that you would have an urgency of mission to the Jewish people so that when they were converted, the second coming could take place. Um, But to use means to try and identify um, the Native Americans as the lost tribes of Israel just seems... you know, so, so incredible to us, I think, looking back. <laughs> it, it absolutely is, is fascinating and maybe even a, a topic for a future episode because it, it is so integral to the way that we, uh, that, that many of that era uh, thought about this, but it even into the 19th century, uh, even with Mormonism and some of the ways that they think, uh, thought about the Jewish people, at least early on. Yeah, elements of his views were were taken up and and, uh, and not lost. Um, I mean, the sad thing is that uh, Eliot's work and the success or the blessing of it really was uh, dealt a death blow by King Philip's war. Um, but what he achieved, of course, is not lost. And the example that he is to us of being faithful and, and doing what you believe God has called you to do and, and to use what you have uh, for the kingdom and for the church, create an alphabet so you can translate the Bible. Um, you know, translating grammars and Puritan works so that then people can read them uh, working with mission agencies, he wrote a series a series of tracts called the Elliot Tracts, which outlined his work. A mission agency would be created to support him. Men like Robert Boyle, uh, mm-hmm. incredible Christian scientists, uh, would you know sacrificially, financially support Elliot and his work. It really is a thing which we must never forget and and more use as an incredible example of faithfulness and, and what God will do in and through people. And that's exactly, you know, sometimes we play with our guests the game of, you know, what if there had been no. And I I, th- I think as we talk about Elliot today, that that's one of those aspects of, of what would be lost. Well, actually, quite a lot. I, I, I wonder, I can't help but wonder if even societal tensions between Native Americans uh, kind of in the Boston area uh, and European settlers would have been even more heightened. And yeah, because more... all the Indians that um, were converted, maybe maybe 1,500 or so, um, 
do not become involved in any skirmishes or trouble between the settlers and the Indians. They remain neutral. Now, they'll suffer because of that. They're interred on Deer Island in Boston Harbor. I've been to look at Deer Island. Uh, It's now uh, a trash dump for the city of Boston. Um, Mm. and, And I think some of that reflects, you know, how the Native Americans really were viewed, and, and Elliot did so much to, to alter that impression of who they, who they were. And even the educational legacy that he had, starting at multiple schools that are still in existence. Yes, that still work. That's crazy right. Crazy when you yep. stop and, and think through uh, what's there. And, and I think for pastors, as uh, we often talk about that question too, what does Elliot have to do with uh, our, our For the Church claim? His longevity in ministry, as we've we've talked about, and faithfulness to his his one congregation, mm-hmm. is so incredible and important for us to to remember. While at the same time, his view of how he could make a difference in his own day and time by reaching into the lives and to the minds and hearts of children through education, I think can't be missed mm-hmm. either. He he changed. Uh, several generations of individuals just by investing within that aspect of education. And his church is still there. Um, it, it's still working in, in a fairly deprived neighborhood. Um, in, in the same street, just a bit further down, you have a mosque. So it, it's a difficult area. And, uh, and Elliot, you know, is there as a, a, as a great example uh, that God is faithful. Mm. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion uh, about a key person. It's the Episcopal Church in America on uh, on the the anniversary of his death on May twenty. They have a Saints Day mm. uh, remembering him uh, here as as even an American saint. So, someone that our listeners hopefully will read more about. There's several good uh, introductory biographies about Elliot that I would encourage you to find. Uh, you can. Obviously, reference those and find some of those books at the Sword and Trowel Bookstore on the beautiful campus of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. So we'd love to have you come and check that out, especially uh, as we're seeing more and more restrictions in our quarantine age lifted. (laughs) Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Well, thank you, listener, for joining us uh, for this episode of This Week in Church History, and we will see you next week.